If you would take your Bibles for a few moments this morning and turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And the Father forgave them. Why did Christ have to die? No doubt there are many biblical reasons for the necessity of his death and fulfilling prophecy. But today I'd like to consider just one reason for his death, and that is this. That Christ died that you and I might have forgiveness of sins. So adequately sung through words about Jesus Christ shedding his blood on the cross. And God's word reminds us in the book of Hebrews that without the shedding of his blood, without Jesus Christ going to the cross of Calvary and literally shedding his blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, you and I are able to have eternal life with him one day in heaven. And we look forward to that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In Him, that is in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins. Forgiveness was in the blood. In Matthew 26, verse 28, it says, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. People spend a lifetime trying to appease their conscience for the things that they've done, and yet in our flesh, nothing you do can appease that conscience. It's only through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary that any of us have the ability to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. But in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, it simply says this, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. But that phrase, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is the them in verse 34 that Jesus is talking to his father about? I believe that scripture answers this question very clearly. And I believe that there are at least seven people groups in this text that Christ asked forgiveness for. And can I say this? You and I fit into one or more of these groups that are represented in scripture. Every one of us in this auditorium this morning will fit into one or more of these groups. And I want to just quickly go through them this morning so that you and I might find out what it is that Jesus Christ had forgiven us for. But we need to know this, that wherever you see yourself represented, that Jesus Christ's blood was shed for you. It's shed for you and for me. So as we look at these people groups that Christ forgave, we see right away that Jesus Christ forgave the multitude. And we see that right away in verse 1, it says in chapter, or Luke chapter 23, verse 1, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. It was the multitude that he was crying out for forgiveness. They led him to Pilate. They accused him of misleading or perverting a nation and forbidding them to give tribute to Caesar, we find in verse 2. And we find out in verse 5, it says, And they were the more fierce. It says, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, even into this place. They were upset with Him. And they were fiercely against Him. But Jesus Christ said, Even though they're against Me, even though this multitude has led Me to Pilate, Father, forgive them. And then Pilate himself, I believe that, Jesus Christ was praying for. And it says in verse 4, it says, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and the people, I find no fault in this man. 
And then in verse 7, it says, And as soon as he knew that he had belonged unto Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him unto Herod, who himself also was Jerusalem at that time. And so as he was going before Pilate, as the multitude led him to Pilate, Pilate says, I don't find any guilt in this man. There's nothing sinful about him. He's done nothing wrong. Send him back to Herod. But you also find out that Pilate was swayed by public opinion. And we see this beginning in verse 16. He says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must be released, or we must, he must release one unto, one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. Barabbas was a known villain, a known criminal. But the crowd, the multitude, they said as the pilot says, I find no guilt in him. He says, we got to release somebody to be crucified. Well, let's just give Barabbas back to the people. And he goes on in verse 20. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spoke again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. See, Pilate was willing to let him go, but the crowd wanted something else. And Pilate was willing to give in to whatever the crowd wanted. In verse 23, it says, And they were urgent, with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and the chief priests prevailed. Should I give in to the voice of the crowd? And whatever they want. And Pilate gave sentence that he should, it should be as they required. And he, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. See, the multitude led him to Jesus, and he said, Father, forgive them. It was Pilate, as he said, Jesus stood before him, and said, I find no fault in him, but the crowd wants thus and so, so I'm going to release Barabbas, who is a known criminal, but Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Herod himself, we see in verse 8, And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. Well, you think, well, here's somebody who really wants to see Jesus. Until you read a little bit further. For he was desirous to see him for a long time because he had heard many things of him and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. So it wasn't really that he wanted to see Jesus. He was just hoping in that he, hoping that he might get in a little bit on the magic show. I mean, the word is out that this Jesus was doing miracles. And maybe if Jesus is before me, I might be able to see one of them. So yeah, bring Jesus in. I'm glad to see what he can do. Hoping to see a sign, witness a miracle, be entertained, make Jesus a spectacle for others to see. But yet we find out the true Herod, verse 11. And Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. I don't want to deal with it. The crowd wants Jesus to be crucified. Not on me. And so he sends him away after mocking him and putting a gorgeous robe on him. And once again, verse 14, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverts the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things of which ye have accused him. 
So once again, you have the multitude who led him to Pilate. And Pilate, who says, I find no fault. And Herod now, who finds no fault. But now you have the chief priests and scribes, verse 10. The chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. They were jealous. Here's a man who's going about the towns and villages, who's performing miracles and turning people's hearts towards the Father. And they're jealous. Who's this man think he is? And so they vehemently accused him. And then you have, number five, another group, the soldiers. And we find out in verse 36, And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. Sour wine. And verse 37, And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save yourself. They questioned who he really was. Oh, do we see that in our culture today? People questioning who Jesus says he is? All around us. But it is for the chief priests and scribes, it is for the soldiers that Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then you see the thieves in verse 39. And one of the malefactors who were hanged railed at him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. The criminals, they said, we deserve this. This man doesn't. But it was also for the criminals that Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then we come to the last person, Simon, as Nick just so adequately sung about. Simon the Cyrenian and others who were there. And we find out in verse 26, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, the Cyrene, coming from country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And verse 27, it says, And there followed him a great company of people and of women who also bewailed and lamented him. There was Simon and others who followed before him. So let's contrast just for a moment Christ's attitude before and after the cross. Before the cross, what was the attitude of Jesus Christ? Verse 28. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Even in the midst of everything that was taking place, Jesus didn't say, Oh, poor me. He said, Weep for yourselves. Remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago in John 17? He said, God restored to me the glory that we had we had together before the world began. He knew where he was going. He was going back to his father's place. In verse 29 says, For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren in the wombs that never bore. The bottom line is Jesus says, It's not about me at this point. He says, It's about the Father and glorifying the Father. Verse 30, then they shall begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills cover us. For they do these things in a green tree. What shall they be done in the day? So his attitude before the cross is, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. And while on the cross, his attitude was still. Verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood before stood beholding, and the rulers 
also derided him, saying, He saved others, and let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen one of God. And the soldiers mocked him, uh, also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save yourself. His whole attitude was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at Jesus during this time, already beaten and worn ragged from his trip to Golgotha, having spent a night in prayer just before that. And as Luke reminded us, sweat as it were great drops of blood, in intense prayer with his heavenly Father. But now led away by the crowd, beaten, just beginning to feel the physical pains of the crucifixion, had the spikes driven through his hands and feet, And yet the pains of the past nor the present could keep him from praying for his father regarding those who were hurting him. Spurgeon said he was silent to men, but he was not silent to God. Isn't that awesome? What an example. What was the Lord's prayer like? Well, think of this as as Christ was praying, and Father, forgive them. It was a prayer of agonizing pain. It was a prayer for others more than it was for himself. It was a prayer for the, on behalf of his enemies. It was prayer on behalf of all of us, you and me. It was a prayer for what they needed. Not for his pain. Not for what his suffering was upon him. But for you and me. So that we might have eternal life. In conclusion, those of you that are here today, Jesus Christ died that you too might have forgiveness. He died that you and I might have forgiveness. He died for you. Every song that we sang, it's all about Jesus and what he did. The world that we live in, for better or for worse, is filled full of selfishness, and a culture that is just trying to live life. Jesus Christ died so that we might have real life. Christ's blood is sufficient for every sin that you've ever committed to this day. His sin can cover or his blood can cover every sin. Earlier I said that every one of you would be represented by one or more of the people groups in the scene of the scripture. Let me explain that just for a moment in closing. The multitude Do you realize that as you stand out in the multitude, no one stands out in the multitude. A multitude is a group. No one stands out in that crowd. You just simply blend in and do what everyone else does. There's always going to be a crowd. And you can blend in and just do what everyone else is doing, or you can say, I'm not going to be part of that. I'm sure and I'm certain that that day there was a crowd of people who just followed along. They did what everyone else was doing. They didn't want to stand out. Some of us are part of a crowd. We just kind of do what everyone else does because we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to draw attention to ourselves. We don't really want to take that stand. Then there's Pilate. Like Pilate, you can easily be swayed by public opinion. Well, whatever the crowd wants, that's what I'm going to do. I mean, popular opinion wins. How many of us catch ourselves in that boat once in a while? 
I mean, we don't really, once again, want to go against what everyone else knows is right. So we're just going to kind of go with popular opinion. Folks, we need to stand up to truth in this world that we live in. Then there's Herod's group. Like Herod, you see nothing wrong with Christ, but he's not for you. You don't mind being entertained by Christian things, but he's really just not for you. You send him back. If he's there, if I can see some neat thing, you see a miracle, see something entertained, I'm going to go see a good movie about Christ. It's, it's what Hollywood is, you know, you, know, you know, they say it's making money right now, so we're going to go see the religious films, the spiritual films. We're going to kind of just kind of take a little bit of Jesus. Not too much, though. You find out we're more like Herod than what we want to admit. See, Herod really, glad to see him, but only because of what he might witness and then there's the chief priests and scribes maybe a little bit spiritual maybe a little bit religious but really just jealous and proud and sin-filled i mean i can have christianity and live like the world too at the same time it doesn't work that way there's a choice to make and the chief priests and scribes they were just jealous no other way to put it He's getting all the attention. And then there's the soldiers. They ridiculed and mocked and made jokes about God. Kind of in that crowd that when the jokes about Christianity are flying, you kind of just laugh along with it because you don't really want to be different. Then really there's the thief on the cross. You question who God is and we won't, really admit, we won't really admit who he says he is. Because if we really believed who Jesus says he was and is, we'd live our life different. And we're not railing Jesus, but we're questioning who he says he really is. I wonder how often we find ourselves in that group. Is Jesus really God? Is Jesus really able to do do I really trust him, have faith in him? And then some of you will find yourself able to relate to Simon and those that were following behind Simon. You would have wept, and knowing what you know, you would have gladly carried the cross because you understand what Jesus has done. Which group do you see yourself in? I think there's one other person you might be like. If you're visiting here today, you may recall that there are three that hung on the cross. Two of them were thieves. While one thief mocked Christ, the other said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Christ responded, truly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. You have the hope of heaven. Isn't that awesome? Is there any greater hope than that? Everything that we've sung today is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Today you're going to receive Christ's forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them. Even in our ignorance, even in our lack of understanding, even in our mind's inability to truly understand everything that Jesus Christ has done. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And because of Christ's willingness to forgive through his shed blood on the cross, you and I can have eternal life. 
First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Because Jesus Christ shed his blood, we can have forgiveness. And because of that forgiveness, we can have eternal life with Jesus Christ one day. I say it often. You guys have, probably have this memorized. But, but beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ is simp- as simple as ABC. Admit that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us in this room that's not a sinner. I, I, I struggle with that. Not the fact that I'm a sinner, the fact that I know that I'm a sinner. And my best intentions of doing what's right is often hindered by, own, by my own selfishness. Ask my kids. Well, maybe you don't want to. You get too much. Ask my wife. They'll tell you the truth. Man, I feel like a sinner. I argue with Paul. If Paul were standing here today, the Apostle Paul, he says he's the chiefest of sinner, I would truly argue that. Because I know that my best intentions are still wicked and sinful at times. I feel like that hypocrite. But I have to admit that I'm a sinner. But here's the beautiful part. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's simple as ABC. A, admit that we're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died on a cross for you and me. He paid a sin debt he did not owe because we had a sin debt we could not pay. Someone once said, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross? That he shed his blood so that we might have forgiveness. And letter C makes it very clear in Romans 10, 9, and 10. It says, for with a heart one believes, but with a mouth confession is made. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? He did what he said he did. He paid the price. And are you willing to confess before Jesus Christ that, hey, I'm a sinner. I need your, your forgiveness. And I, as according to verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. So admit that I'm a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He is who he says he is. He did what he said he did. And I confess my sins and call on him to be my Savior. That is what starts a relationship with Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is the most important, valuable decision you'll ever make in your life. Is to follow Jesus. That's what Easter is about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'll not take the time to turn there, but it simply says that the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ came, that he was buried, they died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Do you believe that? That's the gospel message. That's what changes lives. That's what makes us a new creation in Christ. See, we can spend an entire lifetime living for self. Live the American dream. Get all that you want to get out of it. But without Christ, we still die and spend eternity in hell. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we spend eternity with him. I trust you know him. That's the most important decision you'll ever make, is to know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. Let's pray.